All right, all right, all right, all right. You're, you're going to leave it there? To, you don't, it's up to you, man, really. You don't have to make a scene out of it. It's okay, David. It's okay. That's all right. Yeah, let's all just avert our eyes so he doesn't feel awkward. David, I didn't, I didn't know. You pulled the guitar out, and you were just, it was like lightning fingers. I was just, I was struck. Oh, well done, well done. I've got to make one major commendation. I saw something happen today that was unbelievable to my sad, sad little eyes. Trying to spot you. Melvin, there you are. I see you now. So today in three ball, everybody was like kicking and throwing like normal people do. And I was watching and the little tiny football, you saw that little football? It just went and went and went. Like it was like a creek out, it just kept going and going and going. I was thinking to myself, how is that even humanly possible? And Melvin, Melvin just yeeted that thing. That's right, that's right, that's right. Yeah, yeah. I, I have seen few human strength feats done like that in my life. I kind of want to just take you back out there and give you the football to see if it'll happen again. That it just seems so unbelievable. And like part of me was like, you were throwing it with the wind to your back. So I was like, maybe it was a really good gust of wind just got a hold of it. Um, so, I mean, we'll have to figure out, okay? So we'll get another little football, me and you, and everybody will come and watch. We'll see if you uh, can eat that thing. Well done, well done. It's been a lot of fun. I've had a lot of fun with you guys. Um, tonight, we're going to come to the text. If you have your Bible with you, turn to Luke 15, the same chapter we were in last night. That's where we'll be tonight, Luke 15. And we're going to come to a story tonight. And this story is a family story. So last night was about sheep. Bah. And tonight is a family story. I don't have any fun hand motions for a family story. But Luke 15 is where we'll be. And just before we come to study God's word, let's pray and ask him to bless our time. Father, thank you for your word. We thank you that in your word we find that you love us. That you love us no matter if our hearts are cold from sin or our hearts are cold from self-righteousness. We ask that tonight you would reveal that reality of your love for us to those of us who study here in your word tonight. By your Spirit's power, convince us of your goodness and of your love toward us regardless of who we are. For those of us who might find ourselves trapped in sin, tempted by sin, drawn away by sin. May your love compel us to come to you and find forgiveness and acceptance. And so bless our time in your word tonight. Help us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We saw our first night, last night, that Jesus is like a shepherd. The shepherd who's willing to put his life at stake to pursue the lost little lamb. Bah. He goes out into the dangerous territory, risking life or limb to make sure that the one that's lost gets found. He's come, as we saw, to rescue people from their sin. So not merely he's come to get a big friend group, but he's come to be the rescuer who rescues you from your sin. And that's good. 
And that's necessary, and that's what verses 1 through 10 tell us, that Jesus has this massive group of people coming around him that nobody else wants around them. They're the, verse 1, tax collectors and prostitutes, the publicans and sinners. They're the worst of the worst in that culture. They're the people who everybody would look down upon. They're drawn by both the message of the gospel of Jesus and the method of Jesus. He's kind and compassionate and gentle. They're drawn to him. We see from verses 1 to 10 that Jesus moves from one story about the lost sheep into another story. You see in that culture that Jesus was in, much like our culture, they had a problem. Especially the religious crowd had a problem. And what was their problem? Well, it's actually the same problem that Phil mentioned this morning in our Christian Life Seminar. That so many people have a distorted view of who God is. It's part of the reason they were so cruel and pushed people away. They had, from their broken hearts, created a broken view of who God is. They saw God as a mean old ogre. You know that word ogre? Ogre? Like Shrek? Ogre? Ugh! Ugh! Get out of my swamp! Growing up, me and my brothers, we lived three houses down from a mean old ogre. We would play ball, throw a ball in the street, and we are Allens, and Allens are good at many things. Catching a ball is not one of them. And regularly the ball would come at us, it would hit us in our hands, or our face, and bounce off into his yard. Now where we're from, people care about their yard. You don't touch their yard. You don't get in their yard. And so we would come up to the edge of his yard, our ball in the middle of his yard. We would walk around the edge and try to figure out the spot where we could reach his yard without stepping into his yard. And we'd always be like so terrified because because without fail, about the time you you get to where the ball is in the middle of the yard and you're going to You're going to just take one step into the yard and get the ball. His door. Oh, you get out of my yard! Ah! (laughs) Back in the street. A mean old ogre who's just just looming behind the door watching. Uh, Any kids out there? So many people view God as this big bully ogre who sits up in heaven going, ah, who's going to sin today? I'm going to get him. Ah, did you sin? Ah, I got gotcha. This view that God is on the hunt, that he, he, he's just cruel and a little bit angry. He, he, he might just fly off the hand. He might just snap. Yeah, so big ogre God, this broken view of God that causes them to live all the wrong kinds of ways, causes them to not turn from their sin and come to him because they fear what it might mean to come to a God who's going who's gonna to yell at me because of my sin. So many people then, as now, see God with this broken view. They understand him as this angry old ogre, the guy 
who's just looking for them to do something wrong so he can come down angry at them. And so it's in that culture that this story is told by Jesus. Jesus wants these folks who hear this, these people, and by extension, us who hear this story, to understand first and foremost who God really is. God is not this vicious, cruel, angry ogre in heaven. He'll tell a story. And the story you'll see has a a father. That's how we call God. And this father shows you what God is really like. Perhaps even you come here tonight and your view of who God is doesn't match the view that Jesus tells in this story. You know what that means? It means you need to change your view of who God is to match who He reveals Himself to be in His Word. What we find here is a parable. As we said last night, a parable is a story. And often these stories were told so that people wouldn't understand the meaning. But this whole set of parables, Jesus wants to make sure that the meaning is perfectly clear. So in that culture, He's going to speak about who God is. So you cannot miss who God is. It's a story of two sinful sons and their loving and forgiving Father. Now, interestingly, when we come to read it, maybe you've grown up in church, you might know this story by a different name. I call it the story of the two sinful sons and their loving and forgiving Father. Most people might know it by the name, the story of the prodigal son. But as you'll see, it's a story of two sinful sons and their loving and forgiving Father. Verse 11, Jesus said, he said, a certain man had two sons. There's the two sons and the loving and forgiving father. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falls to me. Give me my inheritance. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country and there wasted his substance with riotous living. And when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land and he began to be in want. Verse 14 is actually the reason that this is called the prodigal son by many people. You know what the word prodigal means? Some people use the word prodigal and they they think of a a person who goes and runs away from their home or goes and leaves the church. They're a prodigal. The word prodigal is just there in verse 14. Spent. Prodigal just means somebody who spends a lot. That's it. Here this man takes what his father gave gave him and goes and spends it. The prodigal son. The spending son. And he began to be in want. Verse 15. And he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country, and he sent him into his fields to feed swine. And he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. We start the story, and we see immediately there's three characters in the story. There's a father, and there's two boys. 
So a father and his two sons. This is how we start the story. And, and almost immediately you see which son is the worst. He's like terrible. He like comes to his dad. He's like, dad, listen up. I know someday you're going to die anyway, so give me my money now. I want my inheritance now, dad. Like that. Who is he? He's a schmuck. He's a jerk. He comes to his dad making these demands of, of, of break your bank account and give me all my money now? What kind of heartless, cruel son is this? Well, I know, verse 12, he's the younger son. That tells you a lot, huh? Any older siblings in here have younger siblings? Ugh, fits. Like this is like typical birth order stuff right here. Older son, younger, younger sons get away with everything. Older kids have it so much harder. I'm the youngest in my family, youngest of four, and I've heard that in my entire life. You get away with everything. My brothers think I was raised by my best friends, uh, my parents. Just always let me get away with anything I want to. This younger son comes along to the father. He's acting like a foolish child making demands of his father, and his father gives him his portion. Verse 14 told us, 13 and 14, this son takes what's been given to him. Is he late teens? Is he early 20s? Is he a young man? He's going out with his goods now. He goes into a far country. He hits a different territory, and there in that different land, he squanders. That's what the word spent there means. He literally wastes it. He finds new things to buy. He's like, look at all this money I've got. Never had this much money. Oh, man. I've always wanted that pair of shoes. Oh, oh. So he goes to the store to buy the shoes, and he sees three more pairs. Oh, ten pairs of shoes. <laughs> oh, so much more money. New clothes. New car. Gas for my car. He's just blowing his money, burning through his money as quickly as he can. Extravagant spending, the prodigal. He's wasting it away, not just on materialism, but also, as we see at the end of the story, on sin. He's out using his money to purchase sexual immorality. He's out using his money to attend parties and get drunk. He's out using his money to live a wild and filthy life. He's a jerk who takes from his dad and goes and blows it on things his dad would never approve of. Verse 14 tells us that a severe famine, a terrible famine arises in the land where he's living. All the crops dry up. There's no food to be had. All his money's gone, so he couldn't even buy in if he wanted to. And now here he is in this far country. He's not near his own family or his own people. Nobody to take him in. Nobody to provide for him. And while he's living there in that far country, now a famine hits. He can't even go out and, and run a little garden and feed himself. So what does he do? He goes looking for a job. And the only job he can find is this one. Did you see what the job was? 
He went and joined himself, verse 15, to a citizen of that country, and that citizen sent him out into the fields to feed the pigs. He became a pig farmer. Which again, you'd have to understand that around Jesus, in Jesus' day, which was very familiar with sheep, nah. for them, sheep farmers, very nice. So good. Wonderful. Pig farmers, I know culturally, we like some pigs around here. Personally, I like a thing that pigs make called bacon. You ever heard of bacon? Mm. Are you aching? Yep, yep, for some bacon. Yep, yep. (laughs) But for them, Jesus and his culture, the Jews saw pigs as this detestable and disgusting and grotesque creature. They saw it as this cursed creature. They would even, from Levitical law, call it an unclean creature. To eat that creature meant that you couldn't actually go into worship services in their culture. To look at the pig for them was the most vile and disgusting job you could think of. And this kid has wasted everything, and all that's left for him to be is a pig farmer. To which, as Jesus tells the story, they're all like, Pig farmer. I don't know about you. Where I come from, we have this thing in my town. It's called a water treatment facility. I don't know why they call it that, but it's where when everybody in our town flushes their toilets, what was in the toilet goes into the sewer lines and goes down the sewer lines all the way to this one giant facility that then processes the things that you flush down your toilet and then cleans it and puts it away, magic, I don't, I'm not, I don't work there, but they, they have this, this water treatment facility, and all it means is every time that me and my family are in our, our car and we drive down the road, we get to this one spot on the road where suddenly we start blaming each other for something. <laughs> just driving, just driving, just driving. Graham. (laughs) It wasn't me. I didn't do it. I didn't do it. They're like, oh, we're by this water treatment facility. One day, I was just moved there. I drove by, and it's these giant vats where all this, then there's like things that move around, like giant metal arms that I don't know. I don't want to know. But they had it shut off, and one of those vats, was drained out. And there was a man down in the bottom of the vat. Like, I drive by, like, I'm on the road driving by, and I'm like, the whole way by, right? He's in the vat, like, it's drained out vat, and he has a pressure washer, a giant water hose, and he's wearing a rubber suit, and he's going, spraying off the walls, and it's splattering everywhere, and he's just there. And I thought to myself, of all the jobs in the world, that's the one job I don't want. Like, he's got his goggles on, he's... Like, welcome to work, here's your hose, have a good day. (laughs) 
like so disgusting. I couldn't even imagine surviving a day at that job. It would just be like spraying up my vomit too. <laughs> Get all of it. As Jesus tells that story, do you feel a little bit of like, oh, that is kind of gross. That's what they felt when they heard pig farmer. Now for you, you were like, oh, pig farmers. I know, for me, pig farmers. For their culture, they were like, oh, that's awful. Pig farmer. What you see here is this young man has wasted everything. He's reached financial collapse, and the only job available to him is the most disgusting job in his culture that nobody else would imagine doing, and only a bankrupt foreigner that nobody knows about and nobody cares about would take that job. That's what Jesus is pointing out. And it says that he comes to work, and he comes to work starving, verse 14. He began to be in want. You see down in verse 16, and he's hungry. His little tum-tum starts growling. And he's not going to eat the pigs because that's just way too gross. But as he stands there next to the pigs, he fain, he would fain have filled his belly with the husks that the swine did eat. Husks. The word used here, maybe you've heard the word husk. There's a whole bunch of types of husks. This one is a very specific word. It has one meaning, and it speaks to a type of pod that grows on a tree in the Middle East. It's called the carob pod, a carob tree. Pods that hang down, I grabbed some because I saw some pods hanging in trees, much like this. They'd pull these pods off the tree, they'd feed them to the pigs, and the pigs would <laughs> eat them up. Yum. The thing about the carob pods, they're a little bit bigger than this. They're, about, they're about, about three or four times as big as this. And they have seeds inside of them. Seeds that are rock hard. Like if you, as a human, try to bite the carob seed, it'll break your teeth. On the hardness index, it's harder than a human tooth. So if you bit it, you'd shatter your teeth. He's staring at the carob pods as the pigs eat it, going, I might just have to get me one of those. I might just have to reach down in the pig stop and just, just get me some. Yum. What a wonderful life. You have the most disgusting job, and you want to eat the most disgusting thing. Lucky for pigs, their teeth are harder than human teeth, and they can chew right through it. But here, the waster, the spender, the prodigal, has blown everything he has, and he wishes now that he could just snack on the pods that the pigs are eating. If I could just grind those through my miserable, hungry teeth, I don't care if I shatter my teeth. My life is literally at rock bottom. I've blown it all. I've ruined my life. All my evil decisions, all the evil things I've done have led me to this moment of complete ruin. And I'll probably lose my teeth in the process. 
Who cares? Verse 17. And when he came to himself, he's there, he's got a handful of seed pods in his hand. Like he's been chewing on the corner of one. Light bulb. He came to himself. He said, how many hired servants of my father's have bread enough and to spare, and I perish with hunger? I will arise, go to my father, and I'll say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before thee, and am no more worthy to be called thy son. Make me as one of thy hired servants. The son hatches a plan. He comes up with an idea. He'll go back to his father's farm. He'll go to his father, and he'll just have to completely humble himself. He'll have to say, Dad, I was wrong, and I know I was wrong. Okay, I know you're about to tell me everything I did wrong. I demanded my money. I wasted my money. I lived an evil life. I know, I know, I know, I know, I know. And I'm sorry. I shouldn't have done that. I'm not even here to be your son. I'm here because I know that sometimes you hire workers, and I'd like to just work on your farm. Because work, working on your farm with bleh, sheep would be way better than what I'm currently doing. You can probably smell it on my clothes. He's got this idea. I'll humble myself. I'll go to my dad. My dad will receive me. He says the words, I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And in that phrase, verse 19, I think is revealed part of the reason the son left in the first place. He viewed his relationship with his father based upon how worthy he was to be loved by his father. He didn't understand that a good father, a loving father, loves his son not based upon his son's worth, but based upon the father's heart. And as you come here, the son says, I'm no more worthy to be called thy son, as though he was ever worthy to be called the father's son. And so, verse 20, he arose and he came to his father. And here you get to see what Jesus is trying to teach about God. This is the Father. This Father shows you how God is towards you. Look at me. Young person in here tonight who's living in sin. Look at me. Young person in here tonight who doesn't care about church, who's here because there's fun stuff at camp, there's people to hang out with. And you live in unrepentant sin. You hide things and people don't know about it. And you're living in sin. This is how God is. The Father is like this. Hear these words. This is a, this is a son returning to the Father. This is a sinner turning towards God. And he arose, the son, and he came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him and had compassion, and ran and fell on his neck and kissed him. He's not some mean old ogre up there looking to squash you like a bug. He's a loving and compassionate father who wants to give you a hug. This is his aim. This is his heart. He loves you. Come to him. 
and find his heart of compassion. The story goes on, Jesus says, And the son said unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight and am no more worthy to be called thy son. But the father said to his servants, Bring forth the best robe and put it on him. And put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. And bring hither the fatted calf and kill it. And let us eat and be merry. For this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost. Like a sheep. Lost. And is found. And they began to be merry. The father's heart was always towards his son. A God-filled with mercy and grace. His heart is towards all those who would turn from their sin and run to Him. The Father's heart is moved towards His Son. I picture this Father living in that land. He knows which way His Son left. He went and moved to that country over there. I know He lives there. And word comes to the Father one day, do you hear there's a famine in that country? It is there. Yeah, I heard it's terrible. People are dying. Left and right. In this age, even today, famine comes in. 10,000 people a month die in famines. Here, this culture, tens of thousands of people, he gets word they're just dying over there. Tons and tons. I picture the father's heart going, man, I hope my boy will reach out to me. I hope my son will reach out to me. And days go by, the son's over there trying to find a job. Weeks go by, and the son's now working with pigs. The father hasn't seen his son. The father can only imagine the worst. My son lives in that land that had that famine, and I bet you, I bet you my youngest son's dead. But on this day, as the father looks towards that country where his son went into his sin, the father spots his son. And the father sprints to his son. And the father says, he was dead, but now he's alive. He's come to me. Young people see the heart of God. He talks over his son's apology. Dad, I I don't even deserve to be with you. I'm not even deserved to be your son. I know at this point you're really disappointed in me. And so I've come to ask you if you would let me be your servant. He's hugging his son's neck. You're here. You're here. You're home. I'm so glad you came home. Oh, my boy is here. Everybody, he's here. For days and weeks and months and years, he's prayed his heart out to God that his boy would return safe. Give him some clean clothes. He smells like pig poop. And get him a bath. And let's feed him. He looks like he's starving. He kissed his neck. My son. His filthy, disgusting neck. My poor son. My poor boy. Son here with his father. The father speaks over his speech. You're not here to make yourself worthy. This is my son. You see, the father's relationship with the son was never transactional. For the father, he's abundantly generous. And when the son came and said, give me this, the father was like, take it. 
When the son comes home, the father says, son, I love you. I'm glad you're here. The father who is filled with generosity and kindness and compassion. The father's relationship with the son wasn't based upon how good the son ever was. So now when the son comes back and he's not good, of course the father still absolutely loves him. Young people, you've not yet come to Jesus. You've not yet turned from your sin and fallen at the father's feet. You've not said yet, God, I'm done with my sinful lifestyle. I'm done with that. If tonight you choose to do that, the Father in heaven has arms wide open saying, welcome home, I love you. Nobody else in your life will be that consistent. Not your siblings, not your parents, not your pastor, not random people who come through. No one will love you as unhindered as God will love you. Run to him, find his compassionate heart towards you. Turn from your sin that's ruining you and find his compassionate heart towards you. This is my son. And they throw a party. And it is wonderful because the father knows his life is no longer going to be marked by those things. His life will be marked by his relationship with me. He wants a relationship with you. But it's a story of two sons. Verse 25. Now his elder son was in the field, and as he came and drew nigh to the house, he heard music and dancing. That's some loud dancing if you're hearing it. He called one of the servants and asked what these things meant. And he said unto him, Thy brother is come. Thy father has killed the fatted calf because he has received him safe and sound. There's the older brother. He comes back. He's He's been out working. He's been around here doing what the father said. He did everything his father expected. This brother wasn't the disobedient jerk little brother. This was the obedient brother. He was always doing what dad said. And after all that, years of faithfulness and obedience, not a waster, not the prodigal spender, not the ruiner, not the one who goes and lives openly, sinfully in a far country. He was not the one who had left his dad brokenhearted for years. And now, that brother is back and they're throwing a party for him? Verse 28. He was angry and would not go in. Not go in. The phrase is literally, he refused to go in. Hey, come on in. You got to see your brother. No. I will not dignify that filthy, rotten brother. He's not even my brother anymore. That person, he's not my brother. My brother's dead to me. He lived his life. He made his choices. I don't want anything to do with him. Don't tell me to go in there. By being in there, that's me saying everything's good between me and him, and it's not. By being in there, that's me saying he's a good person, and he is not. He stole from my dad. He went and wasted it on sin. I want nothing to do with my filthy little brother. Verse 28. A loving and forgiving father loves both of his sons. He was angry, wouldn't go in, therefore came his father out and entreated him. 
Because this dad always goes after his sinful sons, including the self-righteous ones who think they're better than everybody. And he answering said to his father, Lo, these many years do I serve thee, neither transgressed I at any time thy commandment, and yet thou never gave me a kid that I might make merry with my friends. You didn't give me an animal to celebrate a party with my friends. But as soon as this, thy son was come, he doesn't even call him his brother anymore. Your boy, your kid who came home, this your son was come, which has devoured thy living with harlots. You have killed for him the fatted calf. What is wrong with you, Dad? Are you out of your mind? Do you not know how evil he is? We've all heard the stories of what he's done, Dad. And you welcome him. You'd even let him step foot on property. You should have met him at the gate and said, hightail back to your far country and go live where you want to live. In the house? In our house? Eating our food? What's wrong with you, Dad? And the father loves both of his sons. Verse 31, he said to him, Son, thou art ever with me, and all that I have is thine. It was meet that we should make merry and be glad. It was right for us to rejoice. For this, thy brother was dead and is alive again, was lost and is found. Jesus doesn't conclude the story. So what happens next? That's where Jesus finishes his story. He finishes his story right here because the older brother is trying to tell Jesus, I do everything right. And that filthy, disgusting younger brother of mine doesn't deserve everything I deserve. He sees his relationship with his father based upon how good he is, not on how good the father is. He imagines that his good works have earned him worth with his father. And so he's making demands to his father. Remember the story. This is God. There's a stack of people who are religious and spiritual who imagine that the good things they do earn them God's favor. They think they make themselves worthy because they're the most obedient kids in the youth group. They think that they make themselves right with God, more right with God than all the other kids because I always do the right thing. Here, these were the Pharisees we talked about who despise seeing Jesus with sinners. But the Father comes at them. He says, come. You're my son. I love you. Turn from your cruel and disgusting and sinful ways. You see, sin can take so many different forms. The brokenness and corruption of the human heart might look like a son spending all of his money on sinful things. It also, sin in the heart, might look like somebody dressed in really nice clothes, saying all the right words, and on the inside saying, and that earns me a little bit closer to God. And Jesus goes, no, you both got the same sickness and you both got the same troubles and you both need to be rescued. Did you have COVID come through here? Back home, we had COVID. My wife's aunt passed away from COVID. One of the pastors in town, a good friend of mine, his wife got COVID and died. COVID was a serious thing in our town. We saw a number of people 
deal with that. But COVID was strange because as we came to understand what COVID was back in 2020, there were some people who when they got COVID were like my wife's aunt. She got sick, got a cough, got a fever, got aches, and then couldn't breathe. And they put her in a hospital and put her on a ventilator. And within just a couple of weeks, she passed away. COVID. During COVID, we had to take COVID tests. I don't know if you did this. But a COVID test was just seeing if I had COVID or not. And I, I would stick a cotton swab up my nose. That was really weird. Didn't know that was a thing until COVID. <laughs> stick it in a little sticky thing. And I did that. And it was like, you have COVID. And I look like this. No fever, nothing at all. And they were like, yeah, that's called asymptomatic. Same problem. For her, it was all on the outside. For me, it was on the inside where nobody could see it. But here, sin is exactly the same way that on the outside, many people look and go, ooh, the sinners, ooh, gross, oh, look at him, wasting all that in the far country, making sinful decisions. Meanwhile, there are those who dress up and go to church every Sunday and have the exact same type of corruption they need rescued from on the inside of them. And young people, if you have that same corruption on the inside of you, the Father still loves you and calls you to himself. He entreats you. Turn from that self-righteousness. What does that self-righteousness look like? It looks like this. There are people, there are groups of people that everyone in this room don't like. There are. There are. Like, like the nicest people on the planet have people that they don't like, and they can't help it. Let me give you perhaps a mental game we can play to see if we can find that out. Picture with me for just one moment. I put two chairs right here. And in this chair, I put Jesus. He's sitting here. He's wearing a super cool first century robe. There he is, Jesus. Amazing. I just fall down and cry. I'd be like, Jesus, Jesus. And in the chair next to him, who's the person you couldn't imagine? Jesus sitting with and having a good conversation with. Like if you walked in and you saw, you saw somebody sitting here and Jesus was talking to him, he's like, yeah, no, that sounds great. No, 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 yeah, yeah. You'd be like, Jesus, stop! Do you know who that is? Ah! That's like the most corrupt politician in this town, Jesus. Don't talk to him. He's going to trick you. Jesus, he's one of the rascals. Do you not know? Jesus, do you not know who he is? There's people in our hearts that fit in that chair and we have become the older brother who go, they can't come to Jesus. And that's Jesus' whole point is that anybody can sit in the chair, including you, older brother who feels that way about people. All it would take is for you as the older brother to not learn the spending habits of your younger brother not learn the sinful lifestyles of your younger brother. Just learn the humility that brought him to the Father's feet. That you would say, God, I, I don't come expecting anything from you. I love you, and I'm thankful for you. Forgive me for thinking I'm so much better than anybody else. You're amazing. 
Father, forgive me for all the ways I mistreat those around me all the time. Teach me daily humility and patience and gentleness and love. Teach me compassion and kindness like your heart. Father, thank you for accepting me because you love me, not because I did anything magical to get you to accept me. Young people, tonight as I pray, the Father loves you. If you're the sinful son who's living a wild life, you're the sinful daughter living a wild life, Jesus beckons you to come to the Father and find forgiveness and acceptance. If you're the older brother, your life might look on the outside a lot better. You just have an asymptomatic sinful heart. And meanwhile, you're probably thinking you're better than a lot of people around you. And you need to repent just as much as they do. And find that the Father loves you and accepts you the same. Let's pray together. Father, we love you because you love us. Apart from your love, we can do nothing. We thank you for this picture of yourself that you give us through the words of Jesus tonight. I ask that you would do a work in the hearts of these young men and these young ladies. For those who have somehow gained a wrong view of who you are, Help them tonight to see that you're a compassionate Father who invites them in in a way that nobody on the planet does. May both the sinful and the self-righteous find safe haven in your arms tonight. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's bow our heads.